1: Hair loss is a non-specific symptom, so it is a symptom of inflammation. It's not a root cause in and of itself, and that's something that's really important to remember because even though it's so emotionally devastating, and we want to think like hair loss is the issue, there's actually underlying issues that are provoking it.
0: Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health-conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now onto the show. Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, I'm really happy to welcome Britt Reuter, who is a licensed nutritionist, certified nutrition specialist, and the author of the ebook Girl's Guide to Reversing Hair Loss. It's Britt's personal experience with chronic inflammation coupled with her formal training in nutrition and functional medicine that empowers her to help women overcome the symptoms they feel stuck with so they can get back to living their best life. So we're talking all about hair loss, hair loss types, what's going on in the root cause, and I couldn't be more excited to chat about this topic with you today. Welcome, Britt. Thank
1: you so much for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So Britt's a great networker. We met through some mutual friend who does skin stuff and Britt does hair stuff, which is great because the times I've seen hair loss have been in skin stuff. And so I really wanted to bring her on and tell us because this is, I don't know anyone else in this niche, honestly. Like, so it's really great that she is filling this need. So thank you for filling such a needed area. Why don't you tell us how you got into that? Because it's kind of, it's unique, it's interesting, and it's challenging.
1: Yeah, it sure is. So I'd say a little over a year ago, I saw a trend with the female clients that I was working with, and they came to me for support and guidance on a lot of different issues, but quite a number of them were sharing this common concern they were young women women in their prime and they were experiencing just abnormal and unexplained hair loss the hairbrush you know would be full of hair clumps stuff a lot of hair being left behind in the shower i've even had a client say that she was afraid to take a shower just because she didn't want to see what was going to get left behind in the drain some of them had you know experienced hair loss for such a duration of time so significantly that they were even resorting to wearing wigs or toppers. So I was listening to these women tell me how hard they were finding it to cope with their hair loss emotionally and how much intense shame they felt, you know, the stigma that they felt around being a woman experiencing hair loss. They felt betrayed by their bodies is one way that they were describing their experience. And in hearing them talk about their hair loss, I heard so much of my own story in what they were saying, because just like these women that I was working with, they were telling me that they're doing everything right. You know, All the healthy diets, the supplements, scalp treatments, sleep, meditation, gym time, you name it, all these things, and yet their hair is still falling out in clumps how utterly betrayed by their bodies they felt. That's exactly where I had been at certain points in my health journey with autoimmune thyroid, just literally at my wit's end because I felt like I was doing everything right and still not getting the results that I wanted. So a little bit about my story is I was diagnosed with autoimmune thyroid disease, Graves disease when I was just 11 years old. So that's very unusual. You know, obviously most kids that age have no idea what a thyroid is. And, you know, I'm going to the doctor with my little siblings in tow with my mom every two weeks for blood tests and taking all this medication, and you know, just being really confused about what my body was doing to me, the state of my health and after a couple of years of treatment it was like okay well your thyroid's better like you can go about your way now and you never kind of thing and so i just foolishly thought that that was it you know that's book closed and i don't need to think about my health again well after college in my early 20s i actually was diagnosed with hashimotos thyroiditis which is another autoimmune thyroid condition and this time you know i really started obviously totally different experience from being a child experiencing it versus being an adult experiencing it, I decided that I was going to use this as an opportunity to learn more about my body, to ask questions like, how did this happen? What factors contributed to this? And really start to peel back those layers and make significant changes to my diet and lifestyle that would be more supportive of my health and work to address some of those root causes. So all of that led me to get my master's in nutrition, to become a certified nutrition specialist, to practice functional medicine. So it's just so, you know, I hate seeing clients come in and experience this hair loss and see the emotional devastation and hear so much of my you know own story and what they're saying. But I've come through the other side and I use what I've learned, my experience and everything that I've picked up through my education to help them experience results just like I have.
0: Yeah, but it's not a short term thing. But before we get into that, and I know you have a lot of interesting things to tell us today, but does the area that's affected by hair loss sort of give you clues about what the root cause is? So if it's falling out here, is it different than if it's falling out here? Or what are some different types of hair loss? And I think, you know, that might be part of your four hair loss types anyway. But what does that tell you about the location and how it's at?
1: So, okay, I'll back it up. So hormonal hair loss, when you experience something called androgenic alopecia, that is where there's high levels of androgenic or masculinizing hormones that can contribute to hair loss in women. And typically the pattern of hair loss that you see with that particular androgenic alopecia is uh, hair loss concentrated to the crown of the head. Female pattern baldness is what it's referred to. And then if you're experiencing certain kinds of autoimmune hair loss, it might be that you experience hair loss over your entire body, even, you know, all the hair on your body falling out. So, I mean, there's certain. I'd say that autoimmune presentation is generally a pretty clear indicator of what's going on there. But as far as like where on your head you might be experiencing more hair loss, it's not my understanding that that gives you a really clear idea of what the root cause is or even what type of hair loss it is. But maybe a dermatologist would have a different perspective, but I haven't seen a clear pattern with my client.
0: I like how you say, I think there are so many similarities between like skin and hair, because I'll often say, maybe the dermatologist would say this, and this is just kind of how I see it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's room for more than one opinion, because yeah. it's, these are very challenging areas that we don't have great resources for. So actually, as a side note, I've one more question before we kind of get into these four hair loss types and some of the top root causes. But when mm-hmm. I worked in dialysis, which was oh, quite a while ago, but also really kind of, I suppose there's like some serious malnourishment that tends to happen when you're on a type of life support. And something I learned from the doctors that I worked with at the time, and I was kind of like a sponge, is they would talk about hair loss really occurring, or the client, the patients would really talk about hair loss occurring three months after dialysis started. Mm -hmm. And the doctors would talk about how very frequently hair loss would start three months, After a major event, like a surgery or a major stressor or something like that. Have you seen that hold true a little bit as well? Or have you ever noticed that same pattern?
1: Yeah. So I've seen that and I've also seen it sooner. So it's interesting. So our hair grows in phases. So there's the antigen, the catagen and the telogen phase. So the antigen is rapid growth. The catagen is something called apoptose driven regression. And then telogen is the inactivity and rest phase. And so generally when we are experiencing hair loss, maybe with the exception of autoimmune hair loss, which can be the destruction of the hair follicle. So other than in cases where you're seeing it, of a hair follicle, generally what you're seeing is a shortened growth phase and an extended rest phase. And so just because hair follicle has moved into the rest phase doesn't mean that it's instantly going to shed. And so I think that that is probably the time lag there. When is it that the growth phase was shut down? When is it that it went into the rest phase? And then when is it that the follicle is actually going to shed?
0: So let's talk about some root causes of hair loss and kind of the hair loss types that you've started to identify in practice. And they're not necessarily like you can go Google these necessarily. And like, you'll find an article with the four types, unless it's on its website, but maybe these are the ones you've kind of identified. So tell us about these things.
1: Yeah, so hair loss is a nonspecific symptom. So it is a symptom of inflammation. It's not a root cause in and of itself. And that's something that's really important to remember, because even though it's so emotionally devastating and we want to think like hair loss is the issue, there's actually underlying issues that are provoking it. And that's what we really want to get at. In order to figure out how to fix something, we need to learn how it broke in the first place and address that issue underneath it. And so the root causes of hair loss can be, I mean, multifactorial, multifaceted. There's a number of different things that can lead to hair loss. And so it can be quite complex to talk about, like, well, this could cause hair loss, and this could cause hair loss, and these are all the different root causes. It's going to be unique to the individual, and often it's more than one. So what I found was that there was a way to sort of group the common root causes into something that I started calling the hair loss types. And so hair loss types, I've identified for just broad categories, just to simplify things. So the types are nutritional, stress, hormonal, or inflammatory. And so I created a quiz that women can take on my website and you answer a couple of questions and it will show you what type of hair loss you're likely to be experiencing. And a lot of women that take this quiz actually find out that they are more than one. So if you happen to take it and you find out that you're nutritional and stressed, that's completely normal. I'd expect there to be overlap there, but it helps give you a general idea where some of your root causes of inflammation leading to hair loss might be clustering. So it's really just a conversation starter.
0: Cool. So do you want to tell us like if I'm having hair loss that's slow and my hairbrush is full, like, or what are some of the things? Tell us just a little bit more about this. Like, because um, I haven't seen the quiz, although I'm excited <clears throat> to see the quiz, but tell us what some of the things would be like if, oh, if this is stress related, what are some of the like triggers or the flags that would go up?
1: So some of the root causes that are underneath these different hair loss types, if we're like, let's start with stress since you brought that one up. So stress, that could be emotional stress, something really traumatic happening in your life, or maybe you have a really really stressful job, or you have trouble delegating and saying no, and you're really overcommitted, you're in some toxic relationships, those sort of things could be under stress. But so could sleep issues. So if you're somebody who is exposed to a lot of blue light at night, you have trouble falling asleep, or if you are waking up a lot in the night, you're having trouble staying asleep, you're waking up and you're feeling still super tired after getting eight hours of sleep. All of those things could roll up underneath that stress type as well. And so could overtraining. So hitting the gym too hard, being a little too gung-ho with some of those workouts, that could definitely contribute to a stress hair loss type. Okay. Um,
0: yeah. How about hormonal? Because for me, like mm-hmm. I totally resonate with your buckets here. But I also, I mean, as people who look at things like in total, there's so much overlap, right? So tell us um, totally. about what hormonal hair loss is like, what are some of the red flags there?
1: Yeah. So under hormonal, I'd say androgenic alopecia is a big one. We kind of talked about that where you have androgenic hormones, masculinizing hormones like testosterone are overrepresented. And what those can do is actually blunt the hair growth phase. So it shortens the growth phase, extends the rest phase, and it leads to hair loss. So some of the special things to consider underneath that androgenic alopecia is Hormonal birth control use, because we know that they use synthetic hormones that can really mess with our own natural hormone balance. PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's very common to see high levels of androgens with that diagnosis. And then you can also experience adrenal issues that can lead to overproduction of androgens as well. And then I'd also consider thyroid to be part of that hormonal hair loss as well. So hormonal is kind of like the androgen side of things but then it also includes thyroid and you're right there is crosstalk between all of these different types you can't you know necessarily be someone like if you're someone that's experiencing a, a hair loss hormonal hair loss related to thyroid issues i'd expect there to also be maybe some gut issues and that would register as a nutritional type of hair loss or maybe you're experiencing some sleep issues and that would register as a stress type of hair loss but generally people will be more strongly, you know, getting more strong indication towards one hair loss type than the other. Okay.
0: Well, we might as well go through the other two as well. So let's talk about what yeah. some points would be under the nutritional bucket, and then the inflammatory bucket. Inflammatory.
1: Yeah. Okay. So nutritional, I just talked a little bit about gut health issues. So that would be nutritional. We know now, so there was that saying, right, when we were growing up that you are what you eat, but now we know that you aren't as much what you eat as much as you are what you digest and you are what you absorb. So if you have trouble digesting and absorbing the nutrients in your food, theoretically, it doesn't matter if you have a perfect diet because it could pass through you under digested. And because of all the gut inflammation, you're not absorbing those nutrients and utilizing them. So that's a big concern. I say under eating is also a huge concern and one that I see it's very common in the women that I support. And that seems to go hand in hand with overtraining and seems to have been spawned by diet culture that says that we need to work out really hard and we need to eat no food. And then women are coming to me from their CrossFit gyms, you know, who are having them work out four to six times a week, eating 1300 calories a day. And they're saying, Oh, my gosh, my hair is falling out. So that's definitely a common concern that I see in my practice. And then also food sensitivities under nutritional as well.
0: Yeah, great point. I just wanted to mention that I feel like a lot of people in the nutrition field, I think we were seeing such a rise of under eating and overtraining. I just wanted to put a little flag there. Next week, I have an interview with someone specifically on this topic who does like helps people with their training goals and gym goals, but also sees this as like one of the biggest hindrances of accomplishing it, obviously. And so it has crosstalk in many areas. So Anyway.
1: That's so true because, I mean, not only is it going to lead to adrenal issues potentially, so messing with our sleep and our energy balance and our immune response, but I also see this among women, uh, a lot of overtraining and under-eating leading to thyroid issues. So there's something called famine response hypothyroid. And basically, you can have a completely normal TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, which is the most common marker that doctors test for. And so you can go in exhibiting all these signs and symptoms of hypothyroid, one of which is hair loss. So hair loss could potentially signal thyroid issues. And your doctor could test TSH. It might look completely normal. And you're just like sent on your way, like your thyroid's normal, you have a good day. And, you know, you're kind of left scratching your head, like, what is going on? Like, I feel like I have hypothyroid and and yet my thyroid's normal. Well, famine response hypothyroid, when you're under eating and overtraining, TSH can be normal, but the other thyroid hormone markers like T4 and T3 can be depressed. So it's always good to get that more comprehensive thyroid panel run and just another incentive to make sure that you're not under eating, that you're not over training because yeah, it'll manifest in a lot of different ways.
0: How do you help a person figure out that they're under eating and over training? first, like to point it out, like here, this like clearly the facts say this is what's going on and we're gonna shift uh-huh. this. How do you make that clear to someone?
1: So I'll generally look at their body type, So like age, height, weight and use that to calculate their BMR and then add additional calories on top of that based on their activity levels. I'd say that not everybody's activity levels or types of activities that they choose to engage in are probably suited to their adrenals, the state of their adrenal glands. So your adrenal glands, they sit on top of your kidneys, they're involved in your stress response. And I see a lot of women who are engaging in very intense workouts. So I said CrossFit, you know, as an example, but I mean, that's certainly not the only really intense workout that you could do, but prioritizing that above, you know, more restorative movement like yoga or going for walks. And, you know, it's really just a mismatch for their adrenal health. And there's a lot of things that need to be addressed before their body could even properly tolerate that level of training. So I'd say that it's usually illustrating what is going on with their adrenal glands, maybe with a test. I really like the Dutch test, the dried urinary test for comprehensive hormones, because It'll show you a really clear picture of your adrenal health. And it really does help a lot of my clients who are more visual, like I am, see, you know, your adrenal glands are really suffering here. And that means that we're going to have to pull back on the high intensity training and do a few more, you know, restorative type exercises like walking and light jogging, yoga, things like that. And then increase your calorie intake to match your activity level.
0: Mm -hmm. I actually had a podcast I published recently called Why Am I So Freaking Tired? It was kind of like a long checklist that we go through with fatigue. But the last thing I talked about was imbalances of cortisol. And so I try to look for that via symptoms and like obvious signs and symptoms first, because I don't necessarily do my Dutch or hormone testing right away because I'm looking Mm -hmm. to influence The gut, because that's going to influence some of those hormones. And I want to see those move in the right direction before I spend the money on it. But the challenge is, is that sometimes that adrenal picture or the hormone picture is what is impairing or inhibiting progress. So you may do it like, are you doing it early on or you wait a little bit until you've got, and I know you work with people for a bit because hair loss isn't like a short journey. It's not like a real quick fix. So when do you place that to help you the most?
1: Oh, that's a good question. So it really just depends on after interviewing my clients. So the first meeting that we have together is a 90-minute health history review where we're digging really deep into your comprehensive health history, going back to all the way to how were you born? Were you born vaginally or via C-section? Did your mom breastfeed you? You know, talking about any traumas or exposure to toxins all the way up until now. So all of that coupled with your unique symptom presentation, any you know standard labs that you have had done through your doctor, all of that can help me to put together sort of a, a constellation. What is it that's most likely the chief root cause contributing to the significant inflammation that my client is experiencing? And once I have an idea of what that might be, often I'll be looking to confirm that hypothesis, if you will, with... another test. So if somebody, for example, seems to be exhibiting a lot of issues that are aligned with gut dysbiosis and they've had multiple courses of antibiotics, maybe a stool test would be something that they would want to prioritize above doing something like the Dutch test. You know, it really just depends on what seems to be the glaring source of inflammation there. But for some people, the glaring source of inflammation does seem to be some sort of HPA access issues. I think that not having the test run isn't a good excuse to avoid doing habits that we know are supportive of healthy HPA access, healthy cortisol patterns. So it's something that Any client I work with, we're talking about what their current habits are. You know, when did you go to bed? When did you wake up? Did you work out fasted in the morning? Did you eat breakfast before 9am? Did you take a lunch break? All of these different things can kind of give me an idea of what their day-to-day looks like now. And we can make tweaks. We can refine their habits to be more supportive of a healthy HPA access, whether or not you're going to get that Dutch test. Some people are just very data driven. And that's what they know motivates them. So they really want to spend, you know, invest that little bit of extra money in the test, just to see it and get a data point.
0: It's right. a good point. I love yeah. the constellation example that you used, because yeah. of course, there's not one thing, but I like how you spelled out what is the chief root cause creating mm-hmm. the inflammation? Okay, so Ooh. we talked about nutritional stress
1: hormonal, and
0: inflammatory? And we probably kind of crossed over into that a little bit, but anything you want to add for inflammatory type?
1: So inflammatory, I would consider that to be autoimmune, and then also toxins and infections. So a lot of times people are struggling with hidden infections, hidden sources of toxins. Mold is an example of a toxin that can contribute to hair loss. A lot of people are living in moldy homes, are working in moldy buildings, and they don't recognize that that is a toxin and that their body is launching an inflammatory response to try to protect them. And that's manifesting as hair loss. That's a big one. I'd say that hidden infections, which could be gut infections, or it could be viruses. For example, Epstein-Barr virus, which is also known as mono. I've seen a number of cases of you know, people with reactivated Epstein-Barr contributing to hair loss. So that's a big bucket, you know, there's a lot of different things that can live in there. And it can take a lot of work to find out what those hidden infections are. So yeah, there's definitely a a lot of things to turn through there.
0: Yeah, that encompasses a lot of annoying causes, because they don't always show up on testing. There's not one test that would look at all of that. So you have to kind Mm -hmm. of just be a detective. I talked to a past client yesterday, and we kind of suspected this was an issue when we were working together, she got so much better but her family was dealing with a lot of health issues as well. And essentially what happened was she suspected that there was maybe some mold issues in the home and their military family living in not a military housing company, but you know, the military pays them. And apparently they're having such problems with so many of these companies that it's like in Congress, they're arguing over it because essentially what happened was they had a leaky air conditioner. So they had to pull out a wall closet and they found many types of mold behind the wall because they cleaned up well enough between homeowners that it's hard to see. And that's such a challenge. So they moved out because her daughter was on dealing with multiple breathing treatments and immediately the family stopped getting sick so often, um, wow. which was really good. But also it's a challenge because unfortunately mold will kind of take up a little bit of a residence inside you depending on how you are exposed. It's like a fungus that just kind of keeps reproducing. And so it challenges your normal systems quite a bit. So it is just annoying, you know, because it's really hard to find and validate. And we don't want to be crazy. but Like we don't want to induce stress No, the discussion of it either. And that's one of the biggest things is like we don't want to make stress worse by talking about these or by having these stealth problems. But it is good to be
1: just aware that these are a problem because they're a problem of our new life. We live inside. (laughs) It just is what it is. Well, and I think, yeah, you definitely don't want to cause more stress or become, you know, go into a, like a phobic type realm over these things. But if you're experiencing hair loss, something is wrong. And so I've had a lot of clients that feel that they have been disbelieved and their experiences and symptoms have been discounted by different people in the healthcare field saying it's all in your head. Like your hair looks fine to me. You know, it's not that it was too thick before. I mean, I've really heard it all. And so if you're going through these different root causes and really examining each of them and not getting answers then i think that that's time to move into is it something like mold is it something like a reactivated virus is it you know a hidden infection all these different things so i think that if you find out that those are your unique root causes it should feel validating you know it wasn't just in my head i there really was an issue here it just took me a long time to get there right Totally.
0: As far as hair loss in kids, would you have anything to add other than what we've already talked about? Like, are there specifics about how to help a parent navigate that? Because it's pretty challenging, especially like when you're not in that body, right? And you want to treat it carefully. Like you want to uh-huh. be sensitive to the emotional needs of this growing child,
1: right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't see hair loss in children as being different than hair loss in adults. The same root causes could exist whether you're a child or full grown woman. So I think that it's just as important to get to those root causes. I imagine that it would be really hard to try to decipher what it is that your little one is going through, you know, in order to get to those root causes. You know, so I personally don't work with kids in my practice, but I would look for someone trained in functional medicine who does specialize in working with kids and who can be supportive emotionally towards you towards your kid in working at uncovering those root causes, I think that that would be the best thing to do, you know, just knowing that you don't have to take this all on on your own and try to decipher what the root cause might be, but really looking for that strategic partner that you can lean on in that process mm-hmm.
0: so hair growth isn't really a short term thing, right? I mean, it takes right. a while for that to grow. So what are realistic timelines you would tell someone that's dealing with hair loss that's wants to evaluate root causes and work on regrowth? Like, what kind of time frame are they looking at for before they're really seeing progress, essentially, like in the hair?
1: So in order to get hair to grow again, we need to figure out why it stopped growing in the first place and then address that issue. And so Finding out why it stopped growing in the first place can take time. You know, there's a lot of different root causes and sometimes they're not obvious. Like we just talked about mold, how that can be a really tricky one to sort of decipher. So finding out what the root causes are is step one. Addressing that root cause is step two. And that can take time, you know, not just because we're changing our habits, we're, you know, our eating habits, our lifestyle. It can be, you know, a really big upend to our normal day-to-day lives. Maybe, you know, we've been unknowingly living in a pattern that isn't serving our health. And now we have to learn a new pattern that is more helpful, supportive to our health. So all those things take time. And then, you know, on top of that, if there's nutrient deficiencies, insufficiencies, it can take time to remedy those as well. It's not as though, you know, if you're really protein deficient and you're lacking the amino acids that are needed to produce healthy hair, that you're just going to sit down to a steak dinner one time and that's going to solve all those problems. So all of that can take a long time and it really just depends on the unique root causes, that person, you know, their ability to make significant changes. But once the root causes are addressed. And provided that there hasn't been uh, permanent destruction to a hair follicle, I've done a little bit of research on this. That's like the first question that my clients ask, how long is this going to take? When can I start seeing progress? So the American Academy of Dermatology, they say that the hair grows about a half an inch a month or six inches a year, which is just length, right? So it's like, if you already have a hair strand that's growing in length. So I wanted to try to find some more concrete information about when you would expect to see new follicles. And so it seems like there's data on this around people that have received chemotherapy, right? Because all of their hair follicles have fallen out and now they're having to develop new ones. And it seems that it's about one centimeter every twenty-eight days. So one centimeter a month-ish. And the hair can stay in that active growth phase for about two to six years before it should be moving into that rest phase, the telogen phase, and shedding. So it takes a long time, is the punchline. And you know, just being patient with your body, which I know is not what anybody wants to hear when they're experiencing hair loss. We want those rapid results. But the best way out is through, as they say, You know, just really honoring your body with the work that you're doing. We know that symptoms are our body's way of communicating with us. And the best thing that we can do is listen to that method of communication that our body has. We don't want to instantly silence and suppress symptoms. We want to you know, really dig into them and figure out what it is that's going on underneath the surface. I like to give an analogy about our symptoms as being like emails. We can choose to see an email and say like, oh, that's scary and just delete it without opening it. But, you know, really that's passing the buck because whatever that email is about is not getting resolved. It's just building and building and building. And then pretty soon we're getting more and more emails and, you know, it's getting out of hand. That's the same sort of way that our body communicates with us. Symptoms are like those emails. And when we open them up and say like, oh, okay, this is my body's way of communicating with me, what is it saying? What needs my attention here? How can I address it? That's really going to be the fastest way to get the results that you want.
0: Oh, I love that because I love analogies so much. (laughs) So in the skin realm, I'll often struggle with some of the same problems that it takes some time for this to turn over. So I'm looking for other markers of success to let us know we're on the right path. Besides, skin healing or hair regrowth, right? So what are some other success markers you use to say, hey, I'm moving in the right direction here. And even though my hair, I'm not seeing like this dramatic, even though my hair hasn't grown six inches this week, I'm still moving in the right direction.
1: So what I like to do with clients, because I like to be really success oriented and, you know, really focus on what we can do. I feel like that's just so much more motivating and uplifting. And so, yeah, if we're just sitting there, you know, waiting for hair to grow, it's kind of like watching, you know, watched water never boils, like they say. Mm -hmm. So I like to help orientate my clients to other markers of success. So what we do is we sit down right away and we outline eight to 10 different symptoms that we're going to track. So hair loss, is one of them. But maybe if somebody's experiencing fatigue, maybe they're experiencing acne, maybe they're experiencing skin rashes, like you talked about, or any number of symptoms. And I have them write those down in a spreadsheet. And then week over week, what they do is actually email to me on a scale of one to 10, how severe or not severe those symptoms are. And then we can total those every week and track that total as a sign of progress. So, A lot of my clients, what they'll find is that hair loss is one of the last things that they see improved, but they'll see dramatic improvements in, for example, their nail health, or maybe they felt like they always had really bad breath and now they're noticing a significant improvement after addressing some of their gut dysbiosis, or maybe they were formerly very constipated and now they're feeling much more regular or they used to have PMS. And so I think that those are really good ways to help track progress to see if what you're doing is moving the needle or not, or, you know, a good sign that maybe something else is missing and that it needs to be addressed in a little bit of a different way.
0: Yeah, I love that. I do something kind of similar. It's so powerful to track things over time and say, Oh, yeah, that is really improving. So and I love that you give them so many to track because it gives more opportunity for improvement. So I love that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Today, if someone is dealing with hair loss and they're feeling a bit frustrated because it's an emotional experience when our visual appearance is compromised, what is something you suggest someone can do today to start helping with that, at least the emotional side effects of hair loss?
1: So... For the emotional side effects of hair loss, I am a big proponent of seeking therapy or counseling. I think that that is so important to, you know, recognize that your emotions about this are valid. And a lot of times I think our instinct as women is to really tamp down those emotions to try to keep it together and maintain face and, you know, try to be brave and put on this facade. And really become disconnected with those emotions that we're feeling. The emotions that you're feeling about hair loss are completely valid. And it's so important to be able to work through those in a healthy way. And it's not only important for your quality of life, but for your health. Your health really depends on that. And so I think that that is really a good way to do that. And then also to be working towards addressing some of those root causes, I think just feeling like you're making progress towards goals that you have, regrowing your hair can be very encouraging and uplifting. And like we just talked about looking for those other markers of success. I haven't noticed a lot of hair regrowth, but I have noticed significant improvement in all of these areas. So I know that my health is improving over time. I think that that would be you know something really huge. Yeah. Britt, where can people find you online? So on my website, BritRooter.com, and that's where all of my quizzes and ebooks live. So I have Girl's Guide to Reversing Hair Loss, which is a, just a companion guide to help walk you through this whole functional medicine approach to hair loss. I talk about different tests that I use in my practice, different supplements that I use, lifestyle changes, diet changes, all of that. So good place to get started. I also have the free quiz to learn your hair loss type. And then girl's guide to dry shampoo is actually another guide that I have and that's really just to help you choose products for your hair that are safe and that are going to be supportive of your health and not undoing all the work that you're you know doing to try to be healthy. So a couple different options and then blog articles. I try to produce a couple new blogs every month. So lots to learn over on the site. Cool.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this work and for putting out such great resources. I'm really happy to share this with the listeners of A Less stress Life and hopefully we'll get to chat again
1: soon. Yes, I hope so. Thank you.